Okay, so we're on the bottom of Chafva Vamid Beis, 26b, two lines from the bottom. And we're talking about selling something holy for uh, when you're selling for, uh, using it to buy something else holy, or changing from one holiness to another. So, Rev Papi Mishmei Dirav, Mibe Kanishten Lebe Rabbanan. Can you turn something? Uh, from a base medrash into, I'm sorry, from a shul, a basic nessus, to a yeshiva. Can you switch? Would that be lowering the holiness or not? Uh, it would be okay because it would be increasing the holiness. Mibe rabbanim, but the other way around, from a place of learning to to a shul, that would be forbidden. That's opinion of Repapi. Repapa Mishmeda Rava Masti, he learns it the other way around. Omrevacha Kavasa de Repapi Mistavra. It's logical, like he said, Omri Yeshua, as we turn to the top of today's page, Kavzayin Amid Aleph, Yeshua ben Levi, basic Nessus, Mutelasos, Beis Hamedrish. You're allowed to turn a shul into a base Medrish. Shmamina. It's really a big debate. We believe that there's Torah, Avoda, and Gemilis Kosadim. Torah is Torah study, and Avoda is Davenik. So each one has its place. So uh, the question is, is Torah even greater? Can you turn a place of davening into a place of, to- of, of Torah? Or, or is davening greater? And we had two opinions, and uh, we came out. The Gemara brought a proof like the opinion that the Torah study would be greater, and therefore you could convert a shul into a study hall. My uh, it says, it's going to be a proof to that. It, uh, what's written, it says by the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, it says they burnt the house of Hashem, as Beis Amalek, and the house of the king, as Kol Bata Yushalayim, and the house of Yushalayim, as Kol Beis Gado. And it says they also destroyed a big house, Beis Gado, Sarf Beish. So Beis Hashem, we know what that is, the Beis Amigdash. Beis Amalek, the house of the king, Zeplatrin Shomelech. That's the king's palace. Ves kol Yushalayim. We know those are the regular houses Yushalayim. What does it mean? Ves kol beis gadol All big houses were burnt. What's considered big? What's considered important? Rabbi Yochan Mishua Chadomar Malkam Shemegadlin Bo Torah. Gadol means where Torah is grown, where Torah grows, where Torah becomes great. The Chadomar Malkam Shemegadlin Bo Tefila. The other one says no. These are big shuls, where where Tefila is. Where do you find the word Gadol for Torah? Yagdil Torah v'yadir. It says Yagdil Torah grows. Um, so you see that Gadol is the word for Torah. Tell us about the big things that Elisha the Navi did. Elisha, what did Elisha do? He did incredible miracles with the power of Barachmi, uh, praying to the oven. So you see, uh, there's a debate here about uh, which, when it refers to the very big houses of Yerushalayim, where the, was it referring to the study halls or was it referring to the davening places, the shuls? Tistaim is probably Yeshua ben Levi, the one who says, He says the greatest kind of house you could have is a study hall. So he's probably the one uh, that learns that, Shmamina. Then we said, Torah lo 
if you sell a Torah which is of the highest holiness, you can't use that money to buy uh, other books of prophets. The question the Gemara wants to throw out is the following. Mahu limkar sefer Torah yashen likach bo The question is the following. Can you uh, sell a, uh, an old Sefer Torah to buy a brand new one? An, an old Torah has been used. It's very holy. Can, uh, usually you have to go up with holiness. Can you buy something of equal holiness? Do you say you didn't upgrade? It's usr. There's no further upgrade than a Torah. Shaper dummy, then it's okay. So would it be okay to sell one Torah to buy another? Tashma. So we're going to try to prove that from the sources. We said, if you sell a Torah, you shouldn't use the money to buy Haftorah scrolls. Svarim hudelo. Haftorah scrolls you shouldn't. Haftorah b'Torah. But if you want to buy another Torah, that's okay. So the Gemara said, well, we're talking about when the Torah was already sold. Masnis in the oven. If you already sold the Torah, you should use the money to buy something similar, another Torah scroll. Our question is, can you go ahead and sell it to begin with in order only to use the money for another Torah? Maybe you're not allowed to sell a Torah. That's their most beloved possession. So Tashma, let's try again. You're allowed to roll a Sefer Torah uh, with uh, using the, uh, a single volume of a Chumash. A Sefer Torah is the five books of the Chumash. Sometimes they had single scrolls. So obviously, the five books of the whole Torah has more Kedusha than a single scroll. So you can roll a Torah with the scrolls of the Chumashim. With Chumashim et Feichas Nevi'im and Chumashim, you can roll with the Nevi'im Meksuvim. Avalo Nevi'im Ksuvim et Feichas Chumashim. But you can't use a Chumash on the Nevi'im Meksuvim. Velo Chumashim et Feichas Sefer Torah. And you can't roll, use the Torah to roll a Chumash. Tani Miu, what do you see? Glo and Sefer Torah et Feichas Chumashim. You see that you can roll a sefer Torah with a chumash at fekus chumshin in at fekus sefer Torah low, but you can't use one sefer Torah to roll another one to to cover it up. Aim a sefer, but then look at the second part over there. Below chumshin at fekus sefer Torah, you can't use a chumash with the uh, the. It means like using the parchment pieces of a Torah. Ha Torah b'Torah that implies a Torah with another Torah scroll. You could. So, since you can imply one way from the first part and a totally different way from the second, so they cancel each other out, now you have no proof. You can leave a Sefer Torah on top of another Torah. But you can't put a Navi on top of a Chumash Lo Torah. So, what do you see? You can put a Torah on top of a Torah. Must be that. Uh, so you could sell a Torah for a Torah. So the Gemara said, what's the comparison? Hanukkah, we're talking about putting it down. Shani Hanukkah, the lecture. If you have two Torahs, you got to put one on the other. If you're not going to say that, how could you ever roll a Torah where you have one set of uh, parchment basically rolling over another one? You're rolling one part of the parchment on the other. There's no other way to do it. It's okay. Hachanami, here also, with one Torah and another, there's no other way to do it. But our original question was, can you sell another Torah? So, Tashma, we have to prove it. Rabbi Yochum Mishum, Rishim Gamliel, Le'yimka Adam Sefer Torah, Yashan Likhag Bochadish. 
clearly you should not sell an old Torah to buy a new one. So that's a good proof. You can't sell a Torah to buy a Torah. Lumaris says, no, that's a different problem over there. Hashem Mr. Shiyusa. Over there, we're talking about where you might be negligent, just like you can't knock down an old shul to build a new one because maybe you'll knock down the old one and you won't build a new one. Here also, maybe you'll sell the old Torah and not buy a new one. Ki Kamrina, we want to know, Ki going to Custom Monik Lafruke. You have a, a, a brand new Torah there and you could do a switch. You could sell the old one in exchange for the new one. Could you do it? Toshma, let's come in here. Let's try again. There's only two reasons to sell a Torah. To learn Torah, to use the money for a person to learn Torah, or to get married. Shmami, now, what do you see? Torah, but Torah, shaper, dummy. You could, if you can sell a Torah to learn Torah, you can sell a Torah to buy a Torah. Gemara says, Dil Mashani Nilbon. Actually, learning Torah is greater than a Torah itself. Shalimud, maybe Lide Maisa. Because the learning Torah is the most powerful thing, that brings you to action. And Ishanami, and uh, to get married also. Lotia, Bar Lashem, we weren't made to be alone. Abu Batorah, Batorah, Lo, but maybe to sell one Torah for another, there's no proof. So the Gemara now gives up on bringing a proof to that particular question whether you can sell a Torah to buy another Torah. Uh, you shouldn't sell a Sefer Torah even if you don't need it. Yes, I can. Even if you have nothing to eat, when you sell a Torah to buy food, obito, or you put your daughter, you sell your young daughter into slavery, uh, not real slavery, but as a Jewish maid. You'll never see blessing in that money. Those are things you should never do. Sell your Torah, or a person should sell their daughter as a mate. Now, what happens, uh, we were talking before, if you uh, had uh, leftover, if you sold a Torah, or you sold something to buy a Torah, and you had leftover money, can you use that leftover money for other things? So, Amar Veloshna, Eloshem Mokor Basiro. That's if you sold it and you had left over, you still need to use it for the holiest purpose. But if you collected to, do, to buy a Torah and you had more than you needed, then it's totally okay to use that for other things, other holy purposes. Basically, once it's dedicated for that purpose, then you can't undedicate it. But here you had more money than you needed, so you could use it for something else. That's only if you didn't make a condition. You didn't make a condition when it was donated that it could be used for something else. But if you actually made, if you made a condition, you let the people know that you can use this money for other things. I feel the dexusia mutter. You can even use the money for dexusia, which we'll have to wait a few lines to find out what that means. So hey, what's the case? If you sold the Torah and you had left over, what would it help that you made a condition? It already had full holiness. Ella must be that you collected and you had extra. Time made the hisnu. So then the only reason that you can use the extra for something else is because you made a condition. Hello, hisnu lo. But if you didn't make a condition, you, you couldn't use it. We said before, if you collected extra and it never got to be consecrated for a Torah because it wasn't needed, you could use it for other things. So, said really, you sold the Torah and you had extra. There is a way to deconsecrate things. You get the seven elders of the, of the seven elders, who were appointed by the men of the city, who act on the benefit of the city, so then they can make conditions about how to use these communal funds. Then, you can even use that money 
for a duxusia, then it's okay. Asked one of the rabbis who used to arrange the, the scrolls in front of Rosheshis, Misha Mia, did you ever hear from Rosheshis what that word duxusia means? We said you can use the leftover money that was collected for the Torah and wasn't needed, you can use it even for a duxusia. What is that? So basically, what it means is the big communities used to have a horse and rider on the ready uh, to do uh, to go to the government to get help if needed, and so they could use. That's an important town function. It was like the Hatzala uh, vehicle. It was the vehicle to go get help from the the government. So uh, that vehicle, that horse, uh, the upkeep for that horse can be taken from this leftover money. Uh, he said he learned from this important lesson. If you hear a word, and you don't know, and you don't have the rabbi there to ask, so you should ask the people who arrange the books and arrange the lectures in front of the rabbis, even if they're not the rabbis themselves, because they probably have heard what those words mean. If one people from one city go to a different city, and in that city they're levying on the whole community for everybody to give tzedakah to support the poor, so what they should do is the following. They have to commit also to give tzedakah. Now, ideally, people are supposed to support the poor of their city, and they're in a different city. So what they do is they give the money to the poor of the city that they're visiting, and when they're ready to leave, they go and they ask the Gaboyim to give them the money to take to their city. And then they use that to bring that to the city where they're at. Now, the reason they give is we don't want it to look like they're not participating. Everybody should participate. And it shouldn't look like they don't want to give. The only thing is, they need to support their local people first. So they take, the, and when they re- get ready to leave, they go to the Gaboim and say, we're, We don't really live here. We get, put the money in to show we were giving, but now give us the money back and we'll take it to our city to uh, give there. If they happen to be another city where there's a campaign, no, so they should give. Shane Boyan, maybe in Osoimahem, they should carry it back to their cities and give to the poor of their town. Now, if you're just one person and you're in a different city, um, you should then just give to that city. That's only when there was a whole group in the other city. But if it's one person, then you could give it to that city that you're visiting. Rav Huna goes to Tiniso. He decreed there should be a fast day. A whole group came up to pray with them for the need that they had. And he, um, when you want to beseech Hashem, we all know tshuva, tefillin, tzedakah are the thing to do. So he put uh, an obligation on everybody there to give tzedakah. But Yaiva, they gave. When they wanted to take leave, they said, Give us the money back. And we'll use it to, to give the poor in our city, like we learned. That's only true that you take the money back from the city that you're visiting and bring it to the new city if there's not a big rabbi in charge of the whole district. Uh, if there's a big rabbi who's in charge of the whole district, then if you give it to that rabbi, you don't have to bring it to your city. Because 
and certainly because he gives money to the poor in your city and of that city. So there you don't take the money away, and if it's, uh, if it's by the central committee of the Chavar Ir, the, the main rabbi of that area, then everybody has to give. New Mishnah, you don't sell something belonging uh, a big shul to a private place to daven, even though he's going to use it for davening. Because then it loses its holiness. So they made the argument, if that's true, then how can you sell a, a, a big shul to a small group, to a small city? Uh, it also is less holiness. So that's a good argument. Shaper come Rabban and the Rav Meir. So uh, didn't the Rabbanan make a good argument to Rav Meir that we don't differentiate between if you have a thousand people davening and then a hundred? So what's the difference if you have a hundred and you have five? Rav Meir me'ir katana me'ikah kadisha hashtanami kadisha. Either way, you have a minion merabim liyachid. But if you go from a, a large group to a small group, lack a kadusha. You don't have kadusha by private individuals. If you have to be afraid of a minion and not a minion, so then you should be concerned about a big group or a small group. Basically, a big shul, there is a concept that there's more holiness the more Jews you get. And so when you're with a big group, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, they have one day Cholomoid, where they have uh, more Kohanim, where all the Kohanim go to the Koso. And that's a special thing. There's a different, there's an ancient uh, teaching that if you have a, a large amount of Kohanim, it's super powerful. But just being at the Koso with thousands of people is an unbelievable experience. Uh, also, people that went to the Sea of Mashas, when you're davening with thousands and thousands of people, there's more Kedusha. Okay. Even with more people than you're used to, there is more Kedusha. Okay, let's see the Mishnah. Tonight. When you, you can't really sell your shul, why would you ever want to sell a shul? Why would a community ever do that? So sometimes you need the money for something else, but you have to make a condition that if you need it again, that you could buy it back. You have to sell it with a buyback clause. Let me say, you could sell it forever, as long as they're not using it for a degrading purpose. Like four things. The bathhouse, the borsaki. For a tannery. Tanneries used to stink. They had a lot of uh, smelly things there. Litfila, or where there would be naked people to go to the mikvah, the base or for either a restroom or a uh, where people, again, where people bathe. You can sell it just as a plain courtyard, and then you don't have to tell the buyer what to do. The buyer can do whatever they want with it. Now, there's a different question. If you're going to sell it with a buyback clause, that means you can use it, and then they buy it back. Now, there's a problem here in the laws of interest. Let's say you have a farm, and uh, you sell a farm with a buyback clause. And the person on the farm uh, harvests the fruits of that farm for five years, and then he gets his money back. So it comes out that he's, he loaned the person the money, and then five years later he gets his money back. But the, the, the harvest that he got all those years... According to one opinion, that's like interest, because not only did he loan the money for five years, he also got the, the, the whole crap each year. So that's what's called sad echad baribis. If you look at it in one way, it's like a form of interest. So havile ribis, there's a view that even if it looks like ribis in one way, it's really not interest. You're not charging him for the use of the money. 
he wants to buy it back as is, so you let him buy it back as is. The Tanya, Harishai, no Shibakavir money. You loan somebody $100. And you only want to loan if he gives you a field as collateral. And he makes the field sold to you for the money. If he's still harvesting from the field, the borrower, so then you could, uh, then you're allowed to make that kind of arrangement. Uh, uh, but if the buyer, the one who um, loaned the money and is getting the field back, is eating the fruits until the money's paid back, the first opinion says that's interest. Rabbi Yehuda says no. If you even if the buyer, the loaner of the money, eats the fruits, it's okay. Rabbi Yehuda, and there's a story of Beitus ben Zonish that he actually did an arrangement like that. and he ate the fruits. Uh, if you bring the proof from there, we heard a different story that you got that case mixed up. That wasn't that the buyer was eating the fruits. The one who borrowed the money, the seller, was eating the fruits. The land was just a collateral, but the, the, the collateral wasn't entitled to use the crops. What's the issue? What's the difference? That's the question. One view is that if you look at it in one way, it could be interest. It's not a problem. Because if you look at it the other way, it's not interest. No, that is forbidden. Rabbi says, no, Kuliam, everybody agrees, for it looks like interest, it's us. Maybe there's a different issue. Let's say somebody uh, needs to borrow money, and he gives you his field as collateral, and he says, you know what, you keep the field, you, you use the fruit of the field, and if somehow I get the money back, then let me buy it back from you. And he agrees. So 10 years from now, when he buys it back, uh, so the question was, you're getting your money back, and it comes out you were charging for the use of your money by getting the harvest of the field these 10 years. So the answer is you can give back the, the fruits that you harvested now that you got your money back. So it's not considered interest if you're going to give back what you had gotten from the use of that money. One view is, no, it's asr. So then we say, you can sell the shul uh, permanently. So Omri, uh, not like Rameir, who said you can only sell it with a buyback clause. So the issue is, once you daven somewhere, is it always holy? So if you're going to say that you could sell it, it means it's not only, always holy. So he says, in the place that you daven, you can now go to the bathroom. Why? Because you're saying it doesn't stay holy. The fact that you prayed in that spot doesn't stay holy. Omri, Yosef, my kamash What's it teaching us? Isn't that what we learned? You can sell it as a field and it doesn't stay whole of Achaic and the buyer, my shiris, the yatze. He can do anything he wants in the place that used to be the shul. And even the Rabbanu said he can't do basic Knesset via Kedusha. That's a shul where people daven there in a permanent fashion. Maybe you're not allowed to sell it for anything. But in a, a different kind of place, where you just happen to daven there once or twice, or just once, you can't say that it gets holiness, and you can't daven, you can't go to the bathroom there. Low. He said, no, you have to move Dalit uh, uh seven feet, six, seven, at least six feet, it depends on how big Dalit Amas is, you have to move from the place that you went to the bathroom and daven. And if you went to the bathroom, you have to move also from that space and daven. I know why if you went to the bathroom you need to move down because we learned 
You have to distance yourself from the excrement. But why, if you are daven, you have to move away from where you daven to urinate? And if you're going to say you can't daven in a spot where you went to the bathroom, so Kedusha Lakulu Shvila Nardoi. The uh, people davened in all the uh, paths in Nardoi. Nardoi was a famous city of a big yeshiva. And people on the way there would sometimes stop to daven. And you wouldn't be allowed to go to the restroom there. So therefore, the Morris says something different. Really, you're allowed to go to the restroom in a place that may have once been davened. We just mean that you should wait after you use the restroom before you daven. So Bishlema Mashtin Yisha that's because of the spritz, and that we want though if there was water that was on his feet or near there, it should get dissolved. But if you daven, you should wait until you, uh, you go to the bathroom afterwards. Why is that? So He says a different problem. After you're done davening, you're still humming the davening for a few seconds. So you should wait a few seconds, the amount of time it takes to walk Daladamas before you daven, because you're still whispering Tvilas. So you shouldn't immediately, oh, I'm done davening, I'll go, go to the bathroom. But Rechush Merachshusai, your lips are moving. Shal Tamidis, Rebbe Zakai, you'll see why the Mora brings this. Certain people uh, lived longer than others of, their, of the same place and same time. And long life is a gift from Hashem. So they asked Rabbi Zakai, what do you, uh, on what do you feel that Hashem gave you long life? I'll tell you what. Number one, I never urinated in the spot where I davened. I was always careful not to do that. I, I had extra, I couldn't, couldn't bring myself to do I made sure to move away from there. I never gave my friend a nickname. So Tosis brings down, to give a bad nickname, you could, that, that's super, that's a terrible thing to do. You're not allowed to embarrass people. But even to give a nickname, they don't mind, he was careful with. And I didn't, not, never, I was always careful to make Kiddush on Shabbos day. They point out, of course, why would, he, everybody makes Kiddush. Sometimes people can't afford Kiddush and they make Kiddush on Chala. He meant I always make sure to make Kiddush on wine. He had an elderly mother. One time his elderly mother sold her hat, her shetel, her tichel, and ordered that he can make kiddush during the day. So you see, in that family, that was a value to them, the importance of making kiddush uh, even during the day. Tani, Kishemesa, when his mother died, she left 300 barrels of wine. Kishemesu, when he died, he left 3,000 barrels of wine. You see the blessing, there's a special blessing in making Kiddush. That's why many people like the, uh, the mitzvah of donating uh, wine and grape juice uh, for shuls or for other people to make Kiddush and Havdalah. That's considered a unique merit. Garvayat. Rev Huna Havi Usser Risa. Rev Huna once came to shul wearing a rubber band, wearing a rubber, uh, 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 a, a, he took a piece of reed as a belt. Koi Kameh Rav, he was standing in front of Rav. Omer Le Mai Hai. What are you doing here? Why are you wearing a rubber band on your as a belt? Um, he said, I don't have my belt because I didn't have wine for Kiddush. So I went to the pawn shop and I pawned my belt so I could have wine for Kiddush. He said, what a great thing. May God pay you back the Titum Bishiroi. 
that you should uh, be buried in silk. Silk was very expensive, came from China. And he said that someday you'll be very wealthy because you were willing to give up your belt for Kiddush. Kia Kalko Rabbe when his son Rabbe got married, Ravuna Inishkutza, he was pretty short, and he was lying down on a, on a couch near there. And his daughters and daughters-in-law were there, and they didn't notice him there. And basically, he, uh, the assumption was that he had to pay for the clothing, the gowns of his daughters and daughters-in-law. And he was able to buy them silk clothes for the wedding, which is very expensive. And they took off these silk um, garments, and they threw them on the couch, not realizing he was there. And see, he was buried in silk. So he then told, they told Rav that his blessing came true. Rav's blarcha was that there'll be one day that he'll be buried in silk. In other words, that he should have very valuable clothing in exchange for the fact that he was willing to give up his belt for Kiddush. So when Rav heard, he got mad. Omar, and he said to him, my taima, he said, he got such a, when I gave him that bracha, ki brachticha, he should have said, and you too should have the bracha. Rashi points out, we never know when a bracha comes true. And if apparently that was a good time for a bracha that he received, he should have said, thank you, Rabbi, you should be blessed too. The Cain Lamar, and he didn't say that. So um, he said that that's why he was upset. Okay. How come you live so long? They never took shortcuts through shul. Those days people sat on the floor. I was careful never to step on people. And I never did birchas kohanim without a blessing. So the question is, what would be so terrible? Um, everybody makes a bracha on birchas kohanim. So what does he mean? I never did it without a blessing. So one answer I heard was that if you get there late for birchas kohanim, so then you just join in the bracha right away. Yevarechacha uh, without the blessing. And so he said, I always made sure to get there on time and didn't miss the blessing. It's a special blessing that the Kohanim blessed the people with love, and he was careful to do that. Other people say that uh, you're not necessarily obligated to do Birchus Kohanim more than once. He meant, I always said, whenever I did Birchus Kohanim, I got a blessing. There are different views about what that was exactly. Okay, call to a good